welcome in to episode 115 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Salmon, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo and Lisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, we're going back to an area that we have covered quite a bit. I feel like we've done a lot of different just randomly 2001 pay-per-views to the point where I almost started watching No Mercy 2001 <laughs> and just put it on. Like I, I had titled my notes No Mercy 2001 before I realized, wait, have we done this one before? And then went back and it was like episode like 15, like it was one of our earliest episodes. And I was like, oh shit, no, we're actually watching WWF Judgment Day 2001 from May of 2001, that very heady period that was post-death of WCW, post-death of ECW, WWF acquiring both companies, becoming the only game in town, but a pre-invasion angle starting. So you still, it's like, what is this new landscape of wrestling going to look like? What is the world, What what is this like unprecedented WWF only game in town uh, universe like and the answer is well the show I thought was pretty good you know like we can talk a lot about Austin as the heel you know and how that was one of the most like destructive decisions that WWF ever made in their history but like <laughs> I thought the show's pretty good like some there are some good matches like there are some some good guys on it you know I I, I generally had a pretty good time there's like minimal really stupid attitude era shit there's like a little bit but not too bad you know i had a good time so but i look forward to talking about this one what's going on Andrew? yeah this was interesting i could kind of see it back in the day this is more or less like a, a, a dream event like you think it oh man you have all these names under one brand and we're going to be able to see all these different types of dream matches that we initially were ne- never thought to be possible that something would be uh you probably only see i think ecw and wcw maybe specialized more in the dream matches because they were the guys picking off the free agents and be like oh man we can book this match between our local star and this import from WWF, WWE. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really cool in that way. Uh, you mentioned we have a bunch of 2001 uh, episodes. It feels like that's uh, on brand for us in particular. Uh, but it's Bible reference 2001. This was the whole like end of Attitude Era before PG Era. That weird kind of mesh where John Cena was the uh, doctor of th- thugonomics. Uh, but yeah, fun time. It's been a minute since we got to record. You're a whole year older. I'm in a different state. Uh, it's been uh, I've spent too much time in a car and sitting in this chair. But hey, uh, looking forward to talking about this one. This was, again, like you said, very fun show. A lot of interesting guys here. Uh, and then the stone cold of it all is also kind of brings it all home. Yeah, Angelo, you have officially moved back to Jersey, which is part of the reason why we didn't record last week because you were you were getting out of Pittsburgh and going back to your 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 home state, the native uh, land. Native your native land of New Jersey. Hey, you talk about this uh, you know, this whole deal with uh, you know, like them integrating WCW and ECW guys. It does feel like there's a lot of those guys on the show, but to be fair, it should be noted that WCW had done such an incredibly good job of chasing out all of their good wrestlers that the only guy on this show who debuted after in WWF after the closure of WCW and ECW is Rhino. All these other guys, Malenko, Benoit, Jericho, obviously. Uh, we see Perry Saturn. We see the Dudley Boys. I think Credible as well. Actually, maybe just Incredible was after that as well. But like... Uh, the majority, the vast majority of these guys, 
debuted in WWF in like 99, 2000, because mm-hmm. just had to get the fuck out. Was you know? this, but I, I'm kind of looking at it as a way, did they, I know Angle Benoit was done before, but was this our first storyline together or was that done in the 99, 2000 period? I, you know, I can't remember. Maybe, maybe not. I, I think this was the first time with, between Angle and Benoit, possibly. But Benoit, I mean, you know, Benoit, Saturn, uh, Eddie Guerrero and, uh, uh, and Malenko all jumped together. That, mm-hmm. you know, that was radical stable. They all jumped together at the same time in like early 2000. So they had been to that point in WWF for over a year. So, you know, like these guys are now more WWF guys, even though it's, it's sort of like, it's, it's easy to forget that someone like Malenko, who was like, so associated with WCW was there for years and then didn't really wrestle that long in WWF. He didn't come over with the invasion. He was there prior, you know, for over a year prior. So, <laughs> which makes the invasion storyline funnier too, because you're like, okay, yeah, we're gonna do the invasion angle, but they've been here forever. You could have done some sleeper cell shit with that, I guess. I think they kind of did in the invasion angle. Did they really? Like, a little, <laughs> bit, yeah. Incidentally, we see one of uh, Malenko's last ma- like TV matches on here. This was Malenko's fifth last TV match. Oh, shit. He would end up retiring by the end of 2001. Uh, he just was done. Fucking said, screw it. I mean, you know, looked good in the little bit we got to see him in this on this show. But, yeah. Oh, this is weird. When did this happen? I, I was looking at Dean Malenko's like, cage match profile. So his last match was in 2001 and then resurfaces on a dark match in 2007 against mystico huh for like a smackdown pay-per-view or not a smackdown tape when the fuck did that happen i guess he tried to make a comeback that's weird it feels like when he debuted wcw was he i don't think he was early 90s literally just like they just had him wrestle mystico it sounds like it was like a tryout for like, you know, of course, he would end up becoming Sin Cara in WWE. They just brought him in for a tryout and they were like, hey, how about you wrestle Dean Malenko? Who was, I mean, he had been an agent for WWE for a long time by that point. But like, that's crazy. I need to see if there is video of that match somewhere on Earth. You get uh, the traders on it. That is one of the most insane matches in retrospect to ever exist. <laughs> Dean Malenko. Is Mystico in 2007 is insane, actually. Oh, boy. Uh, so I know what my next, like, obsession is. Um, I bet – I you know what? I bet Malenko probably looks fucking great in that, too. Uh, I mean, uh, it makes a lot of sense there. I mean, you you have a new guy. You know, Dean Malenko's a pro. Just, all right, see what you can do. That's wild. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, if my voice sounds not that great, it's because I got uh, took a lariat to the throat a couple weeks ago and I'm still recovering from it a little bit. I used to have but, a promising podcast career and then I took a lariat to the throat. Yeah. It, you know what? It happens, folks. Uh, I got I got Stan Hansen a little bit, but it's fine. You know, I'm okay. Uh, but yeah, you know, this is uh, honestly a fun show. We actually get some really uh, some really high level technical wrestling at one point you know in the in the angle benoit match we get a tag team turmoil match that overall is pretty fun and has some sections that are really really good um and then uh a wwf staple just a big stupid brawl with McMahons <laughs> everywhere in the main event <laughs> folks we love that that's just wwf uh you can't do without it 
so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it sounds like we're ready to remember some guys, folks. Let's remember the guys. Let's 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 do it. Let's remember these guys. All these these guys that we have come together to remember here on this day. This judgment uh, day. On this judgment day, yes. The the pay per view named after the judgment day. They need to bring back the judgment day pay per view and have it be run by the judgment day. I think they, they have it like 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 the NWO shows that they used to do. You know, they need to do that shit. I think we might have get it. Like, I think we might get it in NXT because like they, they've been teasing the Judgment Day showing up on there. Can't you see like an NXT special ju- Judgment Day around Halloween with the purple and black uh, branding? I don't know. Maybe. But I, I think that that's a very like that's a, that's an opportunity that they need to seize here. So, yes, it is May 20th, 2001. We are at the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California. Man, the Sacramento Kings were hot as fuck at this point. 13,623 fans in the building for WWF Judgment Day 2001. As we said at the top of the show, WCW and ECW are pretty newly dead. I think they had just been officially folded into WWF about two-ish months before. WWF is now the master of the universe for the very first time, the only game in town. What does this new world look like? It looks kind of the same as it did, you know, a few months before. Uh, you know, Stone Cold versus The Undertaker in the main event for the WWF title. That's probably happened 730 times over the previous three years. Not that I'm complaining, but uh, a lot of the fans are complaining because Stone Cold is a heel. And uh, The Undertaker is now a biker, which is not as not as, not as as cool as it was in 1998. You know what I mean? It's not the same shit. Um, we have, of course, for Judgment Day 2001... A crazy intro package. Fantastic intro package. Yeah, with this, like, like this raving street preacher, you know, like, talking about, like, the Book of Revelations interspersed with, like, wrestling footage. Um, we've got Jim Ross and Paul Heyman on the call. I love the Paul Heyman. You know, like, this is, like, the classic, like, Paul Heyman look around this time, like, wearing the, like snapback WWF hat. I really want one of those. I really want the Paul Heyman hat. Because uh, he wore that hat all the time. Um, they, of course, because it's 2001, they're flashing to WWF New York. All the freaks are going wild in there. Honestly, I if I had a time machine, like, obviously I'd go back and kill Hitler and all that shit. But, like, I would also make a stop to WWF New York because I feel like I really missed out not getting to go and experience. I mean, can you imagine how shitty the food probably was there? I was just thinking about, like, how bad the food would probably be. Or or biggest plot twist, it's actually severely underrated and just no one was really – the market of wrestling fan wasn't there yet. It just – you know, it closed, like, 20 years ago. I don't know anyone who's ever been, you know – Whoever got the chance to go, like, I just, I can imagine, like, like it's like a TGI Fridays, but shittier. That sounds about what I'd expect. TGI Fridays quality food, but it's like somehow too cold, but also too hot at the same time. <laughs> you could tell it's been microwaved. Sitting underneath like a, uh, like a pinup poster of Tori Wilson. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're probably not far off base. And it's probably like. Twice as expensive. Oh, yeah. You know they jacked those prices up. It's in Times fucking square, dude. Come on. 
First man out. We, you know, we got some good matches on this show, but the first guy out is the WWF commissioner, who, of course, at the time is William Regal. William Regal has a match coming up. He gets on the mic. He uh, says, you know, emotions are running high tonight, but this is about business. Rikishi gave Stephanie McMahon a stink face a couple of weeks ago, and it will not go unpunished. Tonight, William Regal, uh, tonight, William Regal says, Rikishi, if you put your disgusting bum in my face, the consequences will not only be severe, they'll be bloody permanent. I love Regal. Great promo. Uh, Rikishi, of course, uh, gets a big pop. Not as over as his two kids are, but or his three kids are, I guess. But still pretty over. Um, you know, Rikishi uh, comes out all serious. Dave Meltzer reports that uh, Rikishi is working with a pretty serious shoulder injury that he had suffered at a match with Kurt Angle a couple weeks before uh, that will eventually require surgery to keep him out for a while. Thankfully, he like doesn't have to do that much. Most of this match is just punches back and forth. It's Rikishi beats him up early. Uh, he goes for the stink face. Regal low blows him in a way that the referee, Teddy Long, doesn't see it. Um, and then Regal beats him up for a while. Uh, he's waving to the crowd, having a ball while getting his heat on Rikishi. Um, Rikishi gets his comeback, hits a big leg drop, finally hits the stink face. And he gets every <laughs> stink face, folks. And Regal has the greatest fucking reaction to this stink face. I mean, yeah, like, this is what I go back and, and I, like, I will recommend people watch this show for just the look on Regal's face. It is He's, cartoony as hell. As he is, like, wandering around ringside in a daze, like, like, a, like he has just witnessed a bombing. Like you're not kidding. It, it is like he's got he's living the PTSD as it's happening. It's fucking hilarious. It's it's incredible work by Regal. Um, Rikishi ends up uh, they fight on the outside a little bit. Regal gets busted open on like a uh, like a slam into the steps. Like uh, Rikishi like bounces his head into the steps. Uh, can't imagine this is the kind of match that someone would blade for. So I don't know if he went up, went up in hard way. I guess he could have, but uh, Regal ends up bleeding. Um, but Rikishi, Rikishi hits the thrust kick, goes for a charge in the corner. He misses, and then Regal hits sort of like it kind of looked like a stranglehold neckbreaker and gets the pin, wins the match, three minutes and 57 seconds. Not too much to this match, but again, worth it for Regal. It's amazing. Four entertaining minutes because of the two guys there. I mean, Rikishi, just his charisma, uh, his character. It was always entertaining as hell. Um, you ever think the Usos? I mean, I don't know if they did it during before, like, oh, well, for lack of a better term, prison Usos. But do you think they'll ever do a blonde phase? Much like Rikishi did here. Blonde phase? I don't know. For the re well, I, 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 I struggle to remember because, like, the Usos were on WWE main roster for, like, six years before they actually, like became cool you know what i mean they were colorful samoans before the like the uso penitentiary gimmick that actually like really got them over uh i don't know i guess maybe it could have but i really i really have no idea i feel like probably not i mean i I, jay uso man i love that guy thank you rikishi for him but again so much fun here i love the fact they literally built a four-minute match around a guy's ass 
that's hysterical. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. It's like, you don't have to do too much. When you have something like, Rikishi is, like, so Rikishi comes out, like, you know, the, the too cool gimmick was over. But, like, really the thing that was over <laughs> was not Rikishi as much as Rikishi's ass was over. And more specifically, a large man shoving his large ass in other men's face you know, the people loved it. It's a kind of gimmick that got over big in the Attitude Era, but honestly, it get over today, too. Let's be real. <laughs> if Otis started doing this thing, Oh, good lord. People would... If we got to see Otis's cheeks, people would go ape shit. I mean, like, they would. I, it, like, it's just one of those things that I think even still today would get over. This needs to be something that we predicted three months ahead of time, like Butch. I need, I need that tomorrow. Yeah. I think it's possible. I think it's absolutely possible that we could get an Otis like an Otis like I like I think an Otis stink face type gimmick. Like if he started doing that, you get he's already doing the worm. That was Scotty Too Hotty's gimmick. He's gonna take something from each of the members of Too Cool. Otis Too Cool. That there we go. That that's what that's the next character moving forward. Boom. Otis embodies the essence of every member of Too Cool in one. Holy and smokes. He gets the push that they never got. He's the prophesized one. He, he is the coolest. He is the he is the too cool that was promised, folks. <laughs> the prophecy is fucking force has 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 seen Otis as the as like the the Uber Uber too cool member. It's happening, folks. But yeah, this is fun because it's like again, here's the thing that's over. Rikishi's big old ass is over. And also, um, people wanting to see Regal get beat up because they shit ass heel. They, they, I mean, not even that as much as they want to see Regal's nose in Rikishi's rectum. And that's what they get. Like, they build the match around the ass, and that's all they need. And they, they don't have to work too hard. When, when the man's ass is over, and all the people want to see is him shoving his ass in your face, well, then, folks, your ass, your face is going in that ass. That's just. You know, that's the laws of wrestling demanded. And boy, oh boy, does Regal end up in Rikishi's ass. As a guy who has taken a stink face <laughs> from a large man not too long ago, I uh, I salute I salute the struggle for, for William Regal. So, you know, we, 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 we kind of like go from match to match, but like we do have like between almost all of them, like these very quick backstage vignettes. Um, nothing that lasts super long on this show. It ends up like show was like what, like two forty ish. Yeah, about there. It's like doesn't overstay its welcome, even though it's got some pretty long matches on it. Uh, backstage, so uh, the next matchup, first big match of the show, we've got a three stages of hell match uh, between uh, Benoit and Kurt Angle for uh, Kurt Angle's Olympic gold medal. Kurt Angle at the time is boys with Edge and Christian. Um, Edge and Christian kind of doing a little bit the like MJF sort of fake friend type of deal. Um, the, but, the cool guys with the square friend. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Kurt shows up. He wants advice because the third fall, if we get there, will be a ladder match. Of course, his buddies are two of the, the gods of the ladder match, right? Um, so he asks Edge and Christian for advice about if it gets to the ladder match. And uh, Edge says, uh, falling off sucks. Don't do it. And Christian says, if you do fall off, make sure you do it with those medals in your hand. Which, great advice there, boys. Genius. Um, 
And then backstage, also, we have uh, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon show up. They go into Vince's office. Vince welcomes them. They had so, – so there's this feud going on really between the two-man power trip, which was the Stone Cold Triple H combo uh, that at the time held like all of the gold that mattered. They were tag team titleists at the time. Uh, Stone Cold was the world champion. Triple H was the intercontinental champion. They're kind of feuding with the Brothers of Destruction at the time, and they had made it personal. They had gotten the Undertaker's wife, Sarah, involved, uh, and Vince is like, hey, man, what? Why do you think this is a good idea, involving Taker's wife in this? Um, do, you, do, you want to, do you really want to mess with the sanctity of marriage? I'm glad you got a kick out of it, too. <laughs> Which, Vince's delivery on the sanctity of marriage, very funny. Um, and then Triple H says... Dude, you put your wife in a sanitarium. We're fine, bro. <laughs> like, oh, well, shit. Fair point, man. Fair point. Yeah, but that's my own wife. Yeah, he was like, yeah, but that was my own wife, not someone else's wife. So <laughs> I can do whatever I want to my wife, and it's fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so next up, it is, as I said, three stages of hell between Benoit an angle for Kurt Angle's gold medal. So, you know, and I don't give a shit. They don't call it three stages of hell. But to me, if it's a two out of three falls match and each fall has a different stipulation, to me, it's a three stages of hell match. I don't give a shit what the details are. I'm sorry. Those are the rules. I'm pretty confident that I can say that this is the first time we've had back-to-back three stages of Hell's matches on the podcast. It has to be. Because they don't do it very often. But here are the stipulations. First fall is pinfalls only. Second fall is submission only. And if we get to the third fall, then the gold medal which have been stolen by Chris Benoit will be hoisted to the rafters and it will turn into a ladder match. Uh, Benoit, of course, had recently really gotten into rubbing his dick on Kurt Angle's gold medal. This was literally the entire feud. Was This was the entire story. Chris Benoit had decided he wanted to rub his dick on Kurt Angle's gold medal, and so he did. His genitals. Genitals, yes. His genitals on Kurt's 1996 Atlanta Olympic wrestling gold medal. Uh, and that was it. That was the whole feud. And Kurt obviously wants this these sweaty Canadian balls off of his, his prized possession. So, yeah. Um, Kurt gets in the ring. He uh, gets on the mic. He says, I have something very special to say. Tonight my Olympic medals are coming back home. They go from resting against Benoit's genitals to going around my neck once again. And as an added bonus, I'm going to show him who the best technical wrestler is once and for all. As far as this ladder match goes, Chris Webber has a better shot of coming back to the Kings, which he did, and winning them a championship, which he didn't, than Benoit does of getting it to a third fall. Hold on, medals. Daddy's coming for you. Man, good thing he mentioned that second part because Old Takes Exposed would have exposed him fast. Yes. Uh, great, great promo here from Kurt Angle, who was always just so fucking funny all the time. Um, so, yeah, Benoit comes out. 
Um, and he makes his entrance, gets in the ring, and takes the gold medal out of his out of his pants uh, and hands it to the referee. He literally just had the gold medal sitting uh, up against his junk on his way down to the ring, and then hands it to the referee. And right, right, uh, right there, we start. Um, and this match gets a lot of time. It's very good. This first pinfall match goes by quick. It's the two guys using their like each other's moves on each other. Kurt does the uh, rolling Germans, and of course his rolling Germans look unbelievable. Uh, some of the best Germans you will ever see in wrestling history. Um, he goes for the diving headbutt, which is something that he never did, but also, of course, because Kurt Angle is like the most naturally gifted wrestler of all time, it also looks amazing. Looked insanely good. Looks like he'd done it for years. Goes for the diving headbutt, misses... Uh, and then Benoit hits the angle slam on Kurt Angle, and Chris Benoit gets the pin inside of, like, one or two minutes. He gets the pin almost right away, uh, using Kurt Angle's finisher against him. So, that means uh, if Kurt Angle wants to win this match, he's going to have to do it through a ladder match. So, the thing that he dreaded more than anything. Now it's submissions only, and both guys, of course, have big, well-established finishers. Benoit has the crippler crossface. Angle has the ankle lock. And we're getting some great technical wrestling just back and forth as they tease these finishers. It's super fucking crisp. Um, like, Benoit locks it on right away. And then, like, Angle's able to get away. And they, you know, extremely, extremely tight mat wrestling. Uh, we get our first nut shot of the day. Or our second, actually, second nut shot of the day. There is at least one low blow in, I think, every match on the card. Holy shit, you're right. At least one. And, like, quite often multiple. There's a couple here. There's a, there's a spot where Angle, like, picks him up um, and then, like, like carries him over to the, to the ring post and just crotches him super aggressively on the ring post. Um, Kurt keeps doing dirty shit to cut him off over and over again, like, keeps raking the eyes. At one point, I thought this was interesting. The referee threatens to DQ Kurt for choking him in the ropes. Like, you hear him say, like, stop doing that. I'm going to disqualify you. Which, like, I thought it was submissions only. Like, I thought it was, like, you couldn't get disqualified. I thought that was, like, implicit in saying that the old, like, it was a submission only type deal. Which kind of confused me a little bit. I didn't catch that, but it's another case of refs. What do they do? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, bud. Kurt also goes for pins once or twice, which is like, hey, man, you can't do that. Like there's at one point um, Benoit tries to go for like the kitchen sink knee and like Kurt floats around it and reverses it into a schoolboy and it looks really nice. But it's also like, yeah, you can't pin. So <laughs> what are you doing, Kurt? But eventually Benoit works a few different holds on him. He puts him in a lion tamer. Kurt escapes, locks him in a figure four. Kurt gets to the rope. Benoit works the leg for a bit. Hits a DDT, but then Kurt comes back with an angle slam and locks in the ankle lock, and Benoit taps. So here we go for the third fall. We are – it's ladder time, folks. Uh, and the ref hooks up the medals and, and sends them up to the rafters as uh, Kurt and Benoit fight on the outside. Kurt initially gets this ladder that is obviously way too fucking short. Like – he climbs up to the top and he can't even fucking reach. They There's, got that ladder from Home Depot that morning. It was like, 
you like he grabs it and like immediately like you're like he's not getting here on this fucking ladder what is going on it's not one of the two side ladders that you see nowadays it's literally just a work ladder where you have like the the other side is just like two or three rungs to keep the ladder stable and then steps on the one it's literally they picked it up that that morning it's literally not like it's probably like they found it in like one of the arco arena closets you know like, it's not one of their, like, big boy ladders that they use in an actual ladder match, right? Um, but so, uh, he's, like, he climbs up, he can't reach, and then Benoit, like, rips the ladder away out from under him. He falls down. Benoit then gets a real ladder. We get a bunch of ladder spots after this. Um, tries, you know, they, they try to take each other out with the ladder um, a bunch of times. Uh, Kurt gets wheelbarrowed into the ladder in the corner. Uh, he tries to whip him into the ladder. Kurt runs up. There's there's one spot where like they have the ladder sitting up in the corner, kind of leaning against the corner. Benoit tries to like whip him into it. Kurt like runs up the ladder and then like just holds onto the ladder for some reason. Like just like just like grabs onto this ladder that's like going nowhere in the corner. And then Benoit just like like just fucking pulls him down and then throws the ladder on top of him. Then, you know, hits him with a big German suplex after that. He set, uh, Kurt Angle sets up uh, the ladder in the corner after this and then suplexes Benoit onto it. Benoit then seesaws the ladder into Kurt's face, tries to climb the, like, puts the ladder on top of Kurt in the middle of the ring, tries to climb up to the top, but Kurt pushes him off. Chris Benoit then, this is the end of the match, uh, after, you know, a few minutes of them kind of just going back and forth with different ladder spots, you know, nothing super crazy. Like, again, a couple suplexes, a bunch of just like we're hitting each other with the ladder. Benoit, I guess, decides I need to wear this guy down a little bit more and puts him in the crippler crossface. Even though, obviously, he can't win with the submission, you know, you can still, you know, wear him down with it. But then Kurt's buddies run in. Edge and Christian get into the ring. They pull Benoit out. They all start fighting on the outside, and then the ring is free and clear for Kurt Angle, who climbs up the ladder and gets his medal moments before Benoit pushes him off the ladder. It's like Christian said, if you're going to fall off the ladder, do it with the, la- with the medal in hand. He does, in fact, do it with the medal in hand. Kurt Angle wins the match and gets his gold medal back 23 minutes and 54 seconds. Kisses immediately after I had been in Benoit's pants, too. Yes, which, hey, you know what? I'm sure he wasn't thinking about it. He's just happy to get his medals back. You know, it's wrestling. You know what? You're going to end up with people's crotch sweat in your face. It happens. <laughs> yeah, this was a really fun match. I actually don't have a lot of notes for it um, just because it was just so technically sound. Again, both these guys are just tremendous in the ring when it comes to, like, their moveset. Um, the ladder match, I don't think either of these guys are, like, ladder match guys but hey they did a good job of uh you know telling a story with it you get a really interesting ending too with the edge and christian run out you also had a nice tease in the submission match with benoit pulling out a very interesting looking boston crab that could be alluded to uh in a future match but this was fun I, again i like whenever these guys are in the ring i enjoy watching them benoit looks massive here his neck is massive it's um, on that gear folks which of course we knew because of circumstances. Very much so. Um, the ass, folks. 
<laughs> but this was a again. I just had fun. I was when we when I saw this was uh, on the card. I'm like, this is just gonna be something. I'm gonna set it and forget it. And that's really what this is. It's just a fantastic match. Just really enjoyable. A simple story that works, uh, as well as something that's gonna spin out later. You have Edge and Christian screwing over Benoit. How does that gonna play out? Yeah, the submission fall was the highlight because it is two of the best technical wrestlers in the world just putting on a clinic. And, you know, just teasing submissions back and forth, teasing their big submissions, other shit, you know, each other's submissions. It's really just – it's super crisp and super clean, and you just really get the feeling that you're watching, like, two of the very best operate at a high, high level. Um, and it's a lot of fun. You know, it's – you know, it's a, it's a different twist because you go back. These guys were on SmackDown together uh, after the brand split. Um you can go find plenty or like several really, really, really good Benoit angle matches. You know what I mean? It's like not like you like you shouldn't feel robbed that like they go away from it. You know what I mean? Like I would love to just watch 20 minutes of that. But, you know, like we get the ladder match, we get the pinfall shit. Um, but you get plenty. There, there's plenty of great Benoit angle matches out there. This is a little different because you have the ladder match. You get to see them tangle in a different way. Um, and then you would go on to see them have great match after great match throughout 2002, 2003. You know, like these are two guys that, again, were two of the very best in the world. Uh, just when, and, and, you know, when they were just in the ring together, you're watching just magic. I mean, these guys were as good as it gets. Great chemistry. Fan, like no, no wasted motion. Everything flowed into one another. It's a lot like watching Zack Sabre do anything because Sabre is a guy who I always compliment. He's a submission first guy, but nothing he does is wasted. Everything Sabre did uh, does is very fluid and pays off eventually. And it flows from one thing to another. You have two guys who are capable of doing that in the ring together. And it's just, it's always going to be enjoyable. Yeah, two guys who are extremely technically sound, very, very well-versed in technical wrestling, submission wrestling, and very just in tune with each other and in tune with each other's timing. I mean, every time you got Benoit and Angle in the ring together, it was not going to fucking miss, and this one doesn't. Even though, you know, like, it's got a, it's got a funky stipulation, you know, again, like, I could just watch 20 minutes of them in the ring, but... It ends up it's it's a fun match. I, I I thought it was probably the standout match of the show. Sure, I think this definitely was my favorite match. There's another match I would put up there with it. I don't think it's the one you're thinking of. I bet it's the tag team turmoil match. Is it? It is not the tag team turmoil match. Is it the is it the test match? It is definitely. It is. I'm a big test head. Are you a testicle? I'm a testicle, David. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> Angelo comes out as a testicle. Well, that's actually the next match. But first, we've got this Jerry Lynn <laughs> promo, folks. Hey, I love getting Jerry Lynn on the fucking show, folks. Jerry Lynn, one of the underrated goats, a guy that just could fucking wrestle. Jerry Lynn is one of those guys who it's like he is your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. I mean, a guy who was just, you know, would have been one of the best wrestlers in the world at any fucking, any generation wrestling, do anything. Uh, you know, and he cuts this promo, which, you know, you can like it or you could not like it. He does show some personality here at the very least. Hey, Jerry Lynn was a guy that I think had fair or not the, per, the, 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 the perception on like a, on like, like when he, when it talked about getting to like the upper level of WWF, WCW, a guy who was in a, 
fantastic worker, but maybe didn't have the personality to be a big star. And maybe he didn't have the size to be a big star, right? He wasn't, you know, a huge guy. Uh, but he does cut this promo. He's at WWF New York. He is, at the time, the WWF light heavyweight champion. And he cuts this promo kind of shitting on the fact that he is at WWF New York instead of at the pay-per-view defending the title. He said, this title should be at this pay-per-view. I've worked all my life to win this title. I've worked all this all my life to win this title that has existed for like a year. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've worked all my life to win this title. And for my efforts, I get to talk here at WWF New York. He, then he drops a big whoopity do. <laughs> this promo was so bad. I, no. It was so bad. Ooh, Jerry Lynn says... Uh, and then he starts yelling at JR for some reason. He says, was my interview good enough for you, JR? Am I good enough champ for you, JR? I don't know why he's directing it at JR, uh, but he is. And he says, if I was there, I'd give a whole new meaning to the term judgment day. And he gets his voice super gravelly when he says judgment day. He's like, to the term judgment day. Judgment day. sound like, like... He's like trying to do like the Damien Priest voice. Like, like a metal like a metal band. Yeah. Um and then he, he jumps. I don't know, was this his was this his like like his his tagline at this point? He says, if you don't believe me, just watch me. Which comes off as like, was that Jerry Lynn's catchphrase in two thousand one? I don't know. I mean, it's vaguely evangelical, which, I mean, his shirt was also vaguely evangelical. Jerry Lynn had been in WWF for a total of three weeks. This was very, very well could have been his first promo on WWF programming. He won a title before he set a promo? (laughs) He won the WWF title, the light heavyweight title on his debut. Jeez, okay. Uh, Put up on Sunday Night Heat uh, three weeks before this, RIP Sunday Night Heat, um, which I watched. Like quite often when it was when I remember when I was a kid and I was like when I first started watching wrestling I started watching WWE go on WWE.com they have all these episodes of Heat back when it was like a web show and it was like a lot of like jobber matches but I was like you know I'm fu- I'm a kid I want to fucking I'm obsessed with this shit I want to see all of that so I watched like every episode of Sunday Night Heat on WWE.com when I was 11 uh, but yeah he beats a uh, Crash Holly in his debut for the light heavyweight title okay um, yeah that's probably a fun match. But yes, again, quite possibly this was like the first promo of Harry Lynn's that anyone ever saw. Uh, and it is, I'll say, a mixed bag. We'll say that. I don't want to shit on Jerry Lynn because uh, he is a fucking legend. And I will not accept any criticism or uh, or, or skullduggery towards the great, mis- or, or against Mr. JL himself, Jerry Lynn. Anyway, so uh, next up, we have this match. It is... Testicles go crazy. Uh, back, but we do have I, – I did like this one little vignette. Uh, Kane is in a chain match later on, so to hammer that home, we get a five-second clip of Kane walking backstage. No dialogue, no sound, just him rattling a bunch of chains. And that's it. Five seconds of Kane rattling chains. He's that's a demon, it. David. He doesn't do anything. He's just walking and he's rattling chains, and that's it. <laughs> um, the next up. The testicles are going wild because Test is out next. A three-way match for the Hardcore Championship against The Big Show and Rhino. Uh, And so Big Show and Test, the challengers, are out first. Rhino, who of course was the final ECW champion, as Paul Heyman notes on commentary, is now the Hardcore Champion. 
and test and show. Of course, as the challengers come out first, as they should. And then they start fighting before uh, Rhino even gets out there. And the bell rings. Uh, even though one-third of the match is not even there yet, they still ring the bell. Which, like, if Test, like, hit a flash pin on Big Show here and won the match before Rhino even got to the ring, and Rhino lost his title that way, that I would be pissed off. Uh, Refs, what do they do? I would be like, I would be like, I, I would be like, if I'm Rhino, like, you know, like, this shit is fake, but I would be like, shoot, pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, so we're going to have you drop the title, ready? They're yeah. going to pin the guy before you even get out there. And I obviously that doesn't happen, but I was like, like, the fact that they ring the bell means that that possibility exists. And that's ridiculous. But so they do this, you know, they start fighting and then Rhino eventually comes out. A lot of the first part of this match is Test and Rhino, who are, of course, very large men. Test was like, what, probably 6'5", geared out of his mind, uh, just a freak of nature. Um, <laughs> And then Rhino, of course, built like a refrigerator, has looked exactly the same for about 25 years. Um, just like the thickest man on earth. And not like, not fat. The man is just thick. The man is just a tree trunk. Thick you know? everywhere. There's not a thin part on him. The man has like some of the most unbelievable dimensions you have ever seen on a human being. Uh, <laughs> gotta love Rhino. He's so great. Height, um, low, thickness, max. The man does not, I mean, someone fucked with the sliders on the character creation fucking, you know, sweet. You know, it's like he's, it's, his, his proportions don't make sense. Um, but, you know, it's it's two big guys, but even these two, you know, monsters are dwarfed by the big show. Um, so they try to team up on show. They, you know, show is getting the better of them for most of it. They end up brawling up the tunnel. They brawl backstage. Eventually, they're able to to get the upper hand on the big show, um, uh, and uh, they beat him up. So he ends up falling off of a ledge backstage onto a bunch of boxes and stuff. And then Test and Rhino make their way back to the ring. There is a funny spot when they're fighting backstage. Did you see when Big Show like Rhino tries to whip Big Show? Show reverses it and whips Rhino into a wall, and Rhino makes a huge hole in this wall. Yes. I know just his body makes this massive hole in this wall to the arena, which presumably WWF would have had to pay for. I honestly, the way it was set up, I can't visualize why they would have a wall and door there. I think they might have just set up a, like a, a, a staged wall for Rhino to go through. I think, they, I think that was a worked wall. I think it was a worked wall. I don't know. I guess it could have been, but that seems like a lot of effort. I don't know. Um, for like a spot that like they didn't even acknowledge on commentary, really, it just kind of happens, you know. And then they move on. Um, I don't know. But why would there know. be a door there? Like literally, it's just it's like this part of a wall sticking out of this random area with a door. And if you look around the wall, I didn't see wall continuing back. I just saw like it looked like they purposely angled it so you couldn't see back there. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible. But I, I don't know. I, I might have to rewatch this and see because I just I saw him go through the wall and I was like, that's funny as shit. You know? <laughs> I got kicked out of it. Um, so Test and Rhino make their way back to the ring while show is uh, out of commission for a little bit. And they beat each other up with some stuff. They do some like, trash can lid spots. Rhino hits a DT onto the trash can lid for a near fall. Show ends up making his way back to the ring. And then we get a bunch of moves leading to the finish. Uh, so we get huge choke slam, 
from uh, Big Show on Rhino. Huge choke slam. Honestly, one of the best Big Show choke slams I've ever seen. Very good. Rhino is big, but Rhino gives him a great jump, and he gets way up there. It looked awesome, and so like that was that was great. Uh, Test hits Big Show with a big boot, and then Rhino hits uh, Big Show with a with a uh, with a big uh, spear uh, with the gore. And then um, Test waffles him with a big trash can lid shot for a near fall. Test gets a fire extinguisher. He, uh, I, I loved this spot. Test is spraying Big Show with the fire extinguisher. Rhino comes at him and he does not stop spraying him. Wipes Rhino out with a big boot while he's spraying Big Show. <laughs> uh, thought that was sick. Then he hits Big Show with the fire extinguisher for another near fall. Um, and then finish of the match. Rhino gets the trash can to go with the aforementioned trash can lid. Rhino takes out Test with the trash can shot, then tosses the can to the Big Show, and then gores him through the trash can and gets the pin on Big Show for the pin. Nine minutes, 15 seconds. Rhino, still hardcore champion. I had a good time with this one. I thought this was a lot of fun. The finish was very fun. I thought getting there was kind of a chore. A little um, bit, but I thought there were some fun spots. I, I was I was entertained and into it the whole way. Through. Bob Holly, Al Snow, this was not, but like it, it wasn't bad. That we've we've seen plenty of bad hardcore matches, and like we've we've mentioned uh, previously. But this was, you know, there are some interesting spots. I got a real kick out of uh, Big Show trying to pin Rhino against the wall and the ref counting oh, yes, it. Mentioned that that was so stupid. It was hysterical. Yeah. So that happens backstage. I had that written down in my notes and I forgot to mention it. So yeah, there is a spot backstage where what happens? Does Rhino try to hit him with a crossbody and he catches him or something? Or he picks him up and just slams him against the wall and holds him there. Down. Let me find it. No, I think it's after it's I think it's directly after the he whips him into the wall and he breaks the wall. Mm-hmm. I think Big Show then just like picks him up and then like kind of slams him into the wall and then like holds him up against this wall. Which again is a wall <laughs> or not like a mat of any sort. It is a vertical surface, not a horizontal surface. And the referee is counting the pin against the wall. So and could you pin someone on the ceiling? No fucking sense. Could you that, pin someone on a ceiling? That adheres to none of the accepted rules of pro wrestling. At all. <laughs> like, and yes, you're, you're right. That does open up the question. And like, if we like Lord, you know, if, if in 20 years in the future, if I get to wrestle a match in zero G, like on the International Space Station, you know, I and that's that's I'm going to be pushing for that very hard. Like my two biggest goals of pro wrestling. Number one, get to wrestle in Japan. Number two, get to wrestle a match in zero G, uh, preferably outside of the Earth's atmosphere. But if I pin someone against the ceiling of like the Lunar Gateway Space Station, uh, does that going to is that going to count as a pin or? Maybe they can figure out how to bring Zero-G to the – whatever that dome is now in Vegas, the new yeah. shiny dome. I can wrestle a, a Zero-G match in the orb? In the orb. So the orb's floor is the same as the orb's ceiling. Is the ceiling the floor? Is the floor the ceiling? Can that, you get a pitfall in there? If I wrestled a match inside of a Dyson sphere, <laughs> how, would, how would pinfalls be counted? I have no idea. Uh, yeah, th- again, I-, I think that it took some time to get there. I think the biggest issue is when they go to the back, you really don't hear the crowd much at all. And there's not a lot of like 
Credit to Bob Holly and Al Snow. I think a lot of their grunting was really good looking back in retrospect because there's just not a lot of sound when they go backstage. That is true. I mean, you know, and that is something that like, like you hear people talk about, like when you listen to like people talk about wrestling, it's like, don't ever underestimate like just making noise, you know, but like, I, I agree with you. You know, you make a very good point. I remember thinking like during this match where it's like there appears to feel like there's something small missing. Like when they're brawling backstage, because obviously you go backstage, you're away from the crowd, you know, but like there seemed to be like a little something missing there that was present during the Bob Holly Al Snow match. And I think that was it. They weren't making any fucking noise. There's also a line here from uh, good old Polly Dangerously, the formerly known as. Uh, I can't believe Big Show kicked out. Said with a delivery that you could totally believe Big Show kicked out, Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman's such a fucking smart <laughs> fucking dickhead. <laughs> uh, Paul Heyman, you know, a goat. One of the one of the, one of the one of the greatest carnies of all time. Paul Heyman. Like, read about him in ECW. But, uh, but yeah, just you know, honestly, like it's. Can find five million better hardcore matches, but I had a good time with this. One. You know, it. I. I think there's some. There's a. There's a. A lot of fun to be had in this match. So uh, next up, uh, women's title. We do have this brief vignette where we have. Uh, so it is. It is Lita versus China, and of course Eddie Guerrero. China used to be his mama. So she. He knows China very well. Uh, we do have this. Uh, this this vignette backstage where Eddie comes up to the like the Hardy's like dressing room area where Lita is getting ready. Matt and Jeff are there as well. Um, Eddie comes up and he's like, "Hey, I've got some advice for you. If uh, if you need me advice for taking on China," and uh, she turns him down, and he you know walks off. It's it's actually a surprising pleasant exchange. He, he seems to take it in stride and you know wishes her good luck, which uh, is. Very weird. I expected there to be some kind of uh, some kind of brawl or shit talking here. There isn't really, which is Matt was ready to give the smoke. You know, you can say like Matt, Matt's Matt's very leery of Eddie, but Eddie's Eddie's ultimately respectful, and it's like, wow, this is kind of, kind of a refreshingly normal interaction between you know, you don't normally get like 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 interactions between people in WWF that are like even remotely normal. No. Uh, they so can't that, watch TV at a normal angle. Yeah, I know. It's weird. It's like a, just a completely alternate universe where like the normal laws of just like how human beings exist are just completely different. Um, and then we get uh, this uh, spot. So we have another we have another thing. I, I forgot to mention this. I believe this was before. Yeah, this was before the Jerry Lynn promo. I got so carried away getting excited about this Jerry Lynn promo that I forgot big story development for this pay-per-view. So, uh, William Regal is backstage, still a little bloodied after his match. He is in his office because, of course, he is the WWF commissioner. Um, The Undertaker shows up and spooks the shit out of Regal. Taker is, you know, he has had it up to here with Austin and Triple H and them coming after his wife and them just generally doing their heel shenanigans. So he has decided this match needs to be no holds barred. And he says, I'm not going to jail for what I do in this match. Uh, and you either make this match no hold barred 
or that cut on your head is going to run down to your throat. Ominous. Entertaining-ass promo. The King of Spooky himself. The King of Spooky style himself. The Undertaker. Um, so then, yes, we have right after this uh, Eddie, Eddie spot, Regal is really afraid to talk to Stone Cold about this. He's really afraid to break the news that uh, Taker has threatened his life and basically forced him to change it to a no-holds-barred match. But he works up the courage to tell Stone Cold, who is backstage with Deborah, and uh, Stone Cold just takes it completely in stride. He's like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, we're cool. You know, I'm, I'm totally fine with this. And uh, Regal is very pleasantly surprised with that. And it is now official. The main event between Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker for the WWF Championship is a no-holds-barred match. Um, and so, yeah, next up, WWF Women's Championship on the line. It is a very over Lita taking on China for the women's title. This is a babyface, babyface match. Both women established as very friendly. Um, and they actually hugged to start out this match. It's like a couple spots where, like, you know, like China gets her down and helps her up early on. And, you know, they, they know like there's no animosity or ill will between them. But eventually they... They turn the uh, the the intensity up a little bit. China, who of course is the powerhouse, way stronger than Lita, uh, trying to overpower her. But Lita ends up reversing her a couple times. Uh, but then eventually China cuts her off and beats her ass. And, you know, China wrestled a, a power style that you didn't see out of a lot of women, um, especially in 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 the United States, especially in WWF. I mean, there's really only one one woman who really wrestled like China, and that was China. Uh, hits her with these big lariats, um, hits her with the, you know, later on hits a fucking big power slam, a big gorilla press slam. Um, Lita gets a, you know, gets some offense. It's a swinging DDT. It's a diving crossbody. She's trying to work her arm. China is uh, very noticeably coming out of her top somewhat. Uh, if you're watching, uh, there is some pixelation that occurs on the Peacock feed. Um, a little wardrobe malfunction. The crowd reacts to that really more than anything than they do in the match. Also true. Because of course, it's in 2001, and that's what people were reacting to. But, you know, they, they, they are reacting to that. Lita is working the arm whenever she's getting the opportunity. Uh, Lita gets her in an arm bar at one point. China reverses it into a head scissors, and she holds that for a while. At this point, Eddie Guerrero walks out. And just watches her from the ramp very ominously. Um, eventually, Lita is able to get to the rope. China goes for a power bomb or coming to the finish. She goes for the power bomb. Lita reverses it into kind of a sloppy looking Hurricane Rana for a near fall. Then she goes for the twist of fate. China reverses out of that and hits the power bomb for the pin, wins the match. Six minutes and 29 seconds. China helps her up. And then they hold each other's uh, arms up. And no hard feelings as China uh, retains the belt. This version of China had some real 2021 Rousey vibes. Like, so clearly would be way better as a heel, but is doing everything to try and maintain a babyface persona. Yeah, it's kind of tough because it's like, you know, like, <sighs> Willow Nightingale Yes, is a freak of nature to me because, like, 99.9% of the time, when you have a woman who's, like, bigger and stronger than, like, the other women and, like, wrestles, like, a power style, that's, like, so rare among, like, most women's wrestlers. 
because the majority of women's wrestlers are smaller, right? When you have a woman who is like bigger and stronger, she is going to be a heel, right? Because you're just accustomed to that. Like, it's just so easy for them to play David versus Goliath and have the bigger woman who is a powerful wrestler be a Goliath to all the Davids, right? All like, cause 99% of women wrestling are smaller, you know, but will it, like, that's why Willow Nightingale is such a freak of nature to me and why she's such a unique wrestler and why she's one of my favorite wrestlers right now. She was able to do straps. She figured out how to do straps. That alone, like she is at yeah. the, one of the top, my favorite people to watch anytime. Uh, be a, like be a woman wrestler and also do the Kurt Angle strap gimmick, which is badass. But also like, she she's like wrestles that like that style that like 99.9 percent of the time you are a heel if you if you work like that as a woman but she also manages to do it while also being like the greatest natural baby face in the fucking world and everyone loves her which is crazy to me because like no one has ever really been able to do that the way she does and like i think about that when i watch china here because it's like China's trying to be a baby face, but she's also murdering, like, the girl everyone loves. And it's just, like, I feel like this match would work a lot better if she was just a heel. You know what I mean? Because China doesn't have, like, someone like Willow has that undeniable natural baby face charisma. Like, there's just something about her that, like, the fans just love, right? China doesn't have that. You know what I mean? And she's going up against Lita, who everyone loves. Very few wrestlers do, right? She doesn't. You know, now China was very good and very unique, you know, and, and could do a lot of things that like most people couldn't do. But like, it just kind of like this baby, baby, like this baby uh, dynamic doesn't really quite click for me. Yeah. And like, you, I think part of the reason is like China always looks serious as she was wrestling. Like the character that she is, like, I guess trying to portray does not portray while she's actually wrestling. Whereas like Willow is always, even when she's like getting serious, you can tell like there's a, st- a, a transformation usually from jovial to uh, like j- jovial, having fun to I'm going to kick your ass right now. Uh, and the, the, I kick your ass side is usually reserved for whenever she's facing heel. And that always helps kind of elevate the character that way. China just, again, she was a lot of things. She definitely like, she was incredible in her own way. But in that way, the character way, it just never was more than – and even like when she was at probably her peak, when she was IC champion, she was just like a stoic ass kicker. She wasn't like this happy person. She was just like, I'm here to kick your ass because I'm bigger and stronger than you. Yeah. I mean even when she was in – yeah, I mean like how is China most remembered? She's most remembered as a member of DX where she was like kind of – yeah, she was like the serious fucking like – the serious muscle to a bunch of absolute fucking clowns. You know what I mean? And she kind of stood out as a contrast to all the other clowns doing clown shit. Here's China, who is this big jacked woman who is not fucking around. She's the straight man. You know? Yeah. And then, like, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of doesn't really work for me, to be honest. And, it, you know, it, like, it's, it's not like the match is bad. I mean, I think there's, it's, it's not like A-plus level stuff or anything. Like, there's some stuff that's kind of sloppy, but, like, there's some decent work between these two. Um, you know, I think they have a, a pretty, like, I think they structure the match well. The execution mm-hmm. is great. Like, and I think the structure is fine. It's also tough for her uh, in that role because she's going against Lita. Lita, who is just so beloved at this point. Fucking love her! 
people have always loved her. What is what if people not like loved Lita? You know, I think the edge run was the only time when she was effectively working heel. Yeah, well, that was because she, you know, she cheated on Matt Hardy. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, people have always fucking. You know I mean, like, it's, she's not going to be, you know what I mean? Like, or like, rather, like, there are very few baby faces that you can find, if any, among women that are going to get cheered over Lita, is what I should probably say. That's right? probably right. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of doesn't feel like work should. But, you know, it is what it is. Find a lot worse women's wrestling. Backstage... We have Michael Cole, a young whippersnapper named Michael Cole, uh, interviewing Kurt Angle. He's got his medals back. He says, once I get these sterilized, I'm having a new Olympic medal reenactment ceremony. And he comes upon Edge and Christian, and he says, uh, you know, he thanks them. Kind of implied that he doesn't really realize that they helped him, they helped him win the match. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, sure, man. And then they do the rocket power handshake. <laughs> <Kind> <laughs> did they did they end up doing the Olympic ceremony reenactment? Because that's that would be a piece of sports entertainment I would love to go back and rewatch. Brother, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> if they did, I'm sure it was very entertaining because it was Kurt Angle, uh, and he never missed. Um, next up, we have. A chain match for the Intercontinental Championship. It is the champion Triple H and the Devils. Well, now I would have said the Devils' favorite team. But since the emergence of Blue Kane, I'm now calling this uh, Red Kane is the second is the Devils' second favorite demon at best. I'm very glad you mentioned Blue Kane because I've been seeing a lot of Blue Kane on my timeline. So I'm just Blue Kane's not real. It can't hurt you. Meanwhile, Blue Kane. Me, me and all my friends are now obsessed with Blue Kane. <laughs> I think I want to I, I want to say like Blue Kane might be British from what I've seen. But, you know, Blue Kane is probably going to be all over WrestleMania weekend next year. WrestleMania weekend is in Philly. And there's. No better chance in my lifetime to get booked against Blue Kane, so we got to figure this the fuck out. Figure it out, but how long until he starts going by Enac? Because you can't use Kane because that's trademarked. I want Blue Kane to choke slam me through a car windshield. I will. I will bump for this motherfucker, man. I will bump like crazy for Blue Kane. Uh, <laughs> Good lord. Yeah. Um, it is Triple H and the dastardly Red Kane for the title, um, and the idea of the match is you're supposed to be attached at the arm with the chain, basically a dog collar match, but except it's around the arm instead of around the neck. Um, no actual collar involved. Uh, but Triple H um, attacks him before they affix the chain. And the bell rings again before they actually, you would think that because the, the stipulation is the chain, that they wouldn't actually ring the bell until the chain is a thing, but they ring the bell the second Triple H uh, attacks him. So in the case of refs, what are they good for? I guess I, I guess the 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 whole that what that shows you is uh, if you're in a chain match or a dog collar match and you don't 
want to be in a chain match, just beat him up before he gets in the ring. Make sure the chain never goes on, and then you can just wrestle a normal match, and the chain will never happen. Part of the big uh, story of this match is apparently Kane has, a, from what I can tell, a worked arm injury. They say he has a broken arm. He's got a big, uh, big cowboy Bob Orton-style cast on his arm. And Triple H is working that arm over. Um, eventually, you know, he, he does some chair shots on the arm. Eventually, he finally gets the chain on the broken arm of Kane. So basically, throughout most of this match, whenever Kane is able to fight back, Triple H is cutting him right back down by, like, wrenching that chain on the arm and in doing so hurting the, the broken arm, which, you know... Smart psychology there by Triple H, getting making sure the chain was on that arm. Um, eventually, uh, Kane gets his comeback, does a bunch of uh, chair shots. We have a spot where um, Kane, uh, Triple H gets a chair. Um, Triple H pulls him and the chair, like using the chain, pulls him into the post, like with the chair. So the chair hits him in the face as they go into the the chair uh, into the post. And Triple H blades, and so he's bleeding everywhere. So, uh, yeah, then Kane really just beats his ass. He beats him pillar to post, does a bunch of chain spots. Uh, you know, he does the spot where he, you know, chokes him over the top rope with the chain. Some barricade spots. Kane gorilla press slams him off of the barricade to the floor. Triple H gets a brief flurry of offense, hits his, like, knee face buster. Big clothesline with the chain. Goes for the pedigree. Kane escapes. Chain shot. To the nuts. Uh, we end up coming to the finish here. Kane hits a like, sort of like, you know, he hits that big diving clothesline, but it's it's just like the same thing, but like with a, just like punches him in the face with the chain. Um, hits him with the big choke slam. Stone Cold Steve Austin gets in to try and save his uh, partner. Kane sends him packing too, but during the distraction, Triple H kicks Kane in the nuts and Stone Cold Steve Austin gets back in with the chair. I suppose the idea here is that he was supposed to be swinging the chair at Kane, but then, like, Kane would duck or whatever, and then he would accidentally hit uh, Triple H instead, partner. But the way they are positioned, it's like, it doesn't even look remotely like he's trying to hit Kane. Nope. Uh, I don't know if that was the idea or what, what the idea was, but he just straight up fucking hits Triple H in the head with his chair. And it looks like, it kind of looks like he intended to, but I don't know. Um, he knocks him out with this chair, and uh, Kane gets the pin off of the chair shot. The new Intercontinental Champion is Kane in 12 minutes and 29 seconds. I apologize. I, I was looking up Blue Kane and found his Twitter account and was kind of scrolling through there to see what was there. Blue, uh, Kane, Blue Kane's Twitter account is great. Because I just love how how matter of factly he tweets everything. He's like, "Yeah, I'm Kane. I have snow powers. Okay. I'm Kane, but blue." Yeah, it's like, "Folks, <laughs> I'm Kane and I'm blue." And Do not mention Red Kane around me. That is my gimmick, everyone. I am Kane, but I'm blue. It is hysterical. That's peak shit. We're getting a Matt Cardona blue Kane match. That is going to probably be so much fun. No, I so check that. Check that. Pretty sure that's a fake custom edit. Um, yeah, because I got worked with that the other day. Like someone posted that's like a really high quality, like GCW, like like 
like edit like like match graphic it was like matt cardona versus blue can and i was like oh shit oh, yeah i see it i see it blues day on august 69th and i was so pissed off i was like i want this match so fucking bad i want to see blue cane so bad like in a big promotion hell frozen <laughs> over hell blue pm if they fucking got if luigi primo got booked in japan blue cane is getting booked in fucking gcw folks it's happening Oh my god, so much good. Uh, this was fun. Uh, f- I, again, I actually really enjoyed this match. This was very fun. Um, I thought they got really creative with the chain, and also like you know, this is more or less a straps match, except instead of a strap, it's a chain. Yeah, it's a chain. Uh, <laughs> so I appreciate like it makes sense too for like Kane being a hell demon. It's like oh, demons and chains. Very easy to kind of like make that connection to um, just again. I thought they were creative. I thought it was fun. I liked the hell like they beat the hell out of each other. Uh, really punish each other, and then uh, and then it gets kind of like, eh, for the uh, Stone Cold Chair Shop. But hey, Kane's IC title, uh, IC champ. Oh, well, he's the IC champ. Blue Kane is the IC champ, folks. Beautiful, set you up for That's, it. He's got snow powers. Hell is freezing <laughs> over. Hell is frozen over for Blue Kane. Yeah, this again. I, I enjoyed the fact they beat the hell out of each other with a chain for twelve minutes, and that's all it needed to be. And then like they they furthered a story. It's a big time feud because you know, like you said, uh, uh, the two man power trip was feuding with Brothers of Destruction, so that's already built into there. It felt like a nice big match. It didn't feel like the conclusion in any way, but they you know beat the brakes off of each other. Yeah, Kane uh, gets a big pop. The crowd was obviously very into seeing Kane winning this match and he does. And the crowd loves it. Um, and it furthers the story of like, Oh, maybe some discord here, Austin and triple H not on the same page. Um, which if that's the story you're going to tell, like there's some, there's some misfires here. There's some misfires later on in the show. Um, so it, it serves a couple of purposes here and it's in itself, you know, it's a, you know, it's just a big brawl. You know, it's a big bloody brawl. My, um, my kind of match, man. Yeah, you know, if, if you're into that, you're, you're, you, might, you might like this. You know, it's not like anything revolutionary or that great, but it's... Also, now I'm like thinking about it retrospectively. Is, is Kane winning here the biggest pop of the night? I think it is, yeah. yeah there you go. Fans really did go, go big Kane here. They really did like seeing Kane win this match. Um, so, yeah, that happened. Next up... We have got a big tag team turmoil match, which functionally is going to be a big it's – it's a tag team gauntlet match. They're calling it tag team turmoil. The winners will challenge the aforementioned Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H for the tag team championships coming up very soon. Chris Jericho is entered into this match with a mystery partner, and we still don't know who his partner is. Uh, Jonathan Coachman interviews him, asking him, who is your tag partner? And Chris Jericho says, put your boots on, Cinderella, you're going to the ball. Uh, and talk shit at Coach for a while, which always will support someone talking shit to Jonathan Coachman, who has never been good at his job, any any job he's ever had, really. And he says, uh, my partner, folks, is a real party animal. And uh, maybe maybe more of emphasis on the animal part of party animal. A uh, little teaser there. And even if we don't win, win or lose, if we if we win, we're winning. But if we lose, we're going to make sure that we take Edge and Christian down with us. So next up, we uh, you know tag team turmoil match. 
number one contenders. Uh, and I, what is it, six teams or seven teams? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Into this tag team tournament match. And we start off with the APA, Bradshaw and Farouk. I know his name is Farouk, but I'm going to call him Ron Simmons every single fucking time I see him because I just, I, it's Ron Simmons. Bradshaw and Farouk taking on the team of the Radicals, Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn. Perry Saturn dressed like a pimp for some reason. Uh, with like a fur coat and big top hat, he like stole the Godfather's entrance. Shoot, what uh, they call him? The the yeah. bald baddie or something? Uh, something stupid. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's Perry Saturn. Let him wrestle. What the fuck? Like every gimmick he had in WWF was insanely stupid. And it's like, God, you know, maybe I'm just old fashioned, but Perry Saturn was so good. Let me just see him wrestle, please. They come out accompanied by Terry Runnels. First fall is really quick. Again, it's a, it's a gauntlet style. You know, Radicals hit a few cool moves. Uh, Saturn hits a couple nice uh, suplexes, hits a belly-to-belly, over at belly-to-belly on uh, Simmons, hits a nice T-bone suplex on Bradshaw, but then runs into a very nice big Ron Simmons spine buster and gets pinned, and these Radicals are out very quickly. I listened to an Arn Anderson podcast once uh, where he said that uh, Ron Simmons, like taking a Ron Simmons spine buster was like getting run over by a truck. Which <laughs> Um, yeah, very much so. Is kind of one of those moves. As someone who does a spine buster, and who I think, if I don't say so myself, I think I have a pretty good spine buster. Um, it's one of those moves that you kind of have to like kill the shit out of someone with it to do it safely, because like if you don't, like they'll land ass first. So you got to stick your shoulder into them and dr- to to get them to land on their back. You know what I mean? Uh, so you kind of have to kill the shit out of them a little bit. Okay, Goldberg. I can only imagine that Ron Simmons is, was fucking crazy because uh, it's Ron Simmons. You know? He had massive shoulders, too. That probably helped. You seen that motherfucker? God damn. So, yeah. Radicals are out. Saturn and Malenko. Next up, it is the Dudley boys. And this, this like, I mean, the Dudleys were as over as anybody on this fucking show here. All of their, all of their gimmicks, all the gimmicks that they do are crazy over because they're they're still really really fresh in 2001 now that they like weren't over 20 years later but like they were really over in 2001 um they get some heat on uh bubba ray dudley for a little while um big we want tables chance uh a bunch of tape like dudley boy signs in the crowd there's one did you see the one that they showed where the guy misspelled the word table no, I didn't. I missed it. There's a guy in the crowd who had a like a we want tables or get the table sign, something like that, uh, where he spelled table T-A-B-E-L. I feel like that's the only way to misspell table. Which is like, you know, that's the IQ of the average WWF fan of 2001, folks. Oh, he shooting on the WWF fans of 2001. Just the dumbest mutants alive. Shooter Statman on the scene. Folks, we haven't gotten any smarter. You know, <laughs> I think we've only gotten dumber since then. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, eventually, you know, the, the Dudleys get their comeback and, you know, the, the Dudleys hit a doomsday device on Bradshaw. And like when the Dudleys set up all their gimmicks, the crowd's going nuts. Um, they hit the was up headbutt, which the was up. That was like still a pretty current reference in 2000. <laughs> How did Devon never break his neck on one of those? Because he's literally like head first into their crotch. 
Yeah. And he said, and it looks like a Benoit headbutt too. It looks like he ain't going knees first or anything. I mean, what is, I mean, what is the, the acclaimed scissor me timbers, but just the same thing, except slightly different. Uh, I'm not going to say it's not. It's a slightly different variant. And guess what? That's over too. (laughs) People love a creative, uh, creative nut shot. Um, they do get the tables. The crowd yelling, get the tables with the Dudleys is so over. It's so loud. The camera is rattling. Might have been the only pop louder than Kane. They, I mean, the crowd goes insane for get the tables. And Devon goes out and gets the table, sets it up. And then the Holly cousins who are not in this match, maybe the only tag team in WWF that is not in this match, Bob and Crash Holly, run out. As Devon is getting the table, Bob Holly Alabama slams Devon through the table on the floor. A bump I would not want to take, folks. And then uh, Bradshaw in the ring hits the clothesline from Helen Bubba Ray Dudley. The Dudleys are out. Next up, it is the X Factor. Here is a faction that existed at one point in 2001. <laughs> X-Pac, Justin Credible, and Albert. That is certainly a collection of dudes you got there, David. Albert's is like the muscle, the heavy on the outside. X-Pac and Justin Incredible, the two smaller guys, are the ones actually wrestling in this match. And boy, does it look like Bradshaw does not care to sell for either of these two guys at all. Um, at all. These two smaller guys, especially because they're they're about to go over. <laughs> they're about to go over the APA. I'm sure Bradshaw, noted asshole, was not happy about that. Well, why, why smaller man when why not bigger man eat the smaller man? <laughs> It's like Bob Holly. Why don't you just put the belts on me? And then what? And then I beat everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Bradshaw not selling for these guys at all. They beat they beat the shit out of X-Pac. They beat the shit out of Just Incredible. Um, Ron Simmons hits a power slam, hits a middle rope leg drop on Just Incredible. It's another big power slam on X-Pac. Um, X-Pac goes for a – the finish here comes on a – X-Pac goes for a crossbody. Bradshaw catches him, but then Albert on the outside trips uh, Bradshaw. X-Pac lands on him, and the referee counts the pin while Albert is holding his feet down. So Bradshaw gets pinned. So it's like not only do the APA get like 90% of the offense here, but then it's a super weak finish. Yeah. They do go over, but they – boy, it looked weak. It's also a finish that I'm always like – Eh. On on one hand, I enjoy the creativity of it all. On the other hand, their legs are under the rope to do that. So, like, it's already a pin break. Yeah, it's like the ref is just doing a shit job. Yeah, it's an ultimate ref is like, what the hell are you doing? I, you know, I'm never a big fan of like, oh, this whole thing works if the referee is stupid. And it's like, yeah, like the referee is just fundamentally doing a terrible job, (laughs) you know? Uh, so yeah, not great folks. A lot of bad refereeing up and down the uh, card here. Um, next up, it is the Hardy boys who had only recently within the last couple of years invented being cool. Um, the Hardys are out. Of course, they're crazy over. Uh, they hit some of their double team stuff. Um, eventually Albert on the outside again, getting involved, low bridges, Jeff out of the ring. They pick Jeff up, crotch him onto the post. Toss him back in. Jeff gets beaten up for a while. X-Pac hits the big Bronco buster on Jeff in the corner. Hot tag to Matt. Uh, Matt hits his middle rope leg drop. They send Credible out of the ring. They hit Poetry in motion on X-Pac. Jeff hits the Swanton bomb 
Matt goes for the pin, but Albert pulls him out of the ring. Jeff hits a big tope con hilo. I, I feel like that's not a move that you saw Jeff hit a ton. Um, like the big running tope con hilo out of the ring. Surprised to see that. Because uh, Jeff, again, a big, uh, a big, you know, high flyer. But I felt like you didn't always see him do those kinds of dives that everyone does now, you know? Yeah, that, like he's not really a, like, uh, or a, he doesn't do suicidas either, much either, if you think, if I think back. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, of course it looks great because he's a great athlete. Um, he hits the huge flip dive on Albert, but uh, that means that Matt is in the ring alone with Credible and uh, X-Pac. And uh, just incredible hits a uh, – Matt, Matt sets up X-Pac for the twist of fate, but then just incredible hits him with a big super kick and X-Pac pins him. So the Hardys are out. Next up, it's Jericho and who – like I said – uh, maybe emphasizing the animal in Party Animal. It's the rabid Wolverine. Folks, Chris Benoit is back, pulling double duty after wrestling for over 20 minutes. Just like a little while ago, he is back in the ring as the surprise tag team partner for Chris Jericho. Two Canadian Chrises going at it with X-Pac and Justin Credible. Um, and Pretty quickly, you know, they they end up cutting off Benoit. They get heat on Benoit. Uh, Jericho does his, like, cool springboard dropkick, like the turnaround springboard dropkick to the apron on Albert. He goes for a plancha. Albert catches him, slams him into the post, throws him into the barricade. So they double team on Benoit. They beat him up for a while. Credible uh, beats Benoit up in the corner. Like, Benoit, like, gets stomped down. And then Credible pulls him up into the air into a sit-out powerbomb, which I thought was really cool. I always love that spot. Trent Beretta does that into a like a like a like a pile driver, like a like a spike pile driver, and it looks so sick. Like I really need to start stealing that. I love like because like I do a powerbomb, but like some a lot of people struggle to like get up in like the normal powerbomb way. You know what I mean? Where it's have like, to have a good core. It's a, a lot of people struggle with it, though. I, I, you know, for me taking power bombs, I struggle to do that. I think it's just like me being unathletic. I don't know, but like some people struggle with that. I want to find new, like, cool ways to get people into power bombs because power bombing people is so much fucking fun. <laughs> um, but I, I digress here. Uh, Credible does hit a cool power bomb on Benoit. X Pac goes for the Bronco Buster. Benoit moves out of the way. Hot tag to Jericho. Um, he hits a missile drop kick. Uh, Credible tries to break up the pin, accidentally hits his partner. Then we end up getting a ref bump. Albert gets in the ring, beats up Chris Benoit. Super kick party here on Chris Jericho from the X Factor, but no ref to count. New one comes out too late. Jericho kicks out. Benoit crotches X-Pac on the top rope. Jericho slingshots Credible into him. They hit a double suplex on Albert, double suplex um, on Justin Credible onto Albert. They send Albert packing, then double submission. Walls of Jericho on X-Pac, Crippler crossface on Justin Credible, and they both tap. So last team out is Edge and Christian. And this is the, the big main event here, this tag team gauntlet, right? Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit, Edge and Christian. Four great workers. Four good old proud red-blooded Canadian boys. And three of them can be acknowledged as Chris. Yes. Four of them 
out, out of the four, we got three Chris's. You know, you know, yeah, you can shorten Christian to Chris, even though his real name is Jay. Uh, he's he's a Chris, folks. Uh, a lot of lot of lot of blonde hair flying around here too. And these guys were, I mean, obviously, you got four great workers here. These guys obviously work really well together. Um, very entertaining. Um, they works uh, Edge and Christian works some heat on Jericho for a while. Um, Christian goes for a uh, step up crossbody in the corner, misses. Jericho hits the running bulldog on Edge, gets the tag to Benoit. Benoit gets like a brief flurry of offense, um, but then Edge comes in from behind and cuts him off again. Works some more heat for a little while. The Chris, the, the Chris's as I call them, hit this awesome like missile dropkick doomsday device type move on Christian. Edge breaks up the pin. He throws Jericho into the post. Hits a big DDT on Benoit. Edge and Christian go to the outside, try to get chairs, bring them into the ring. But Benoit and Jericho, double baseball slide dropkick the chairs into Edge and Christian as they bring them back in. They try to uh, swing a concerto on Christian, but Edge is able to basically save Christian's ass. Edge and Christian get the chairs back. They try to do the concerto on Benoit, but Edge, or, but but uh, Benoit is able to reverse Christian into the Crippler crossface right out of that, and Christian taps out, and Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho are the number one contenders. They win the tag team turmoil match in a total time of 25 minutes and 53 seconds. The most glaring weak spot in this entire match is the fact that when they reveal Benoit, they don't cut to his entrance they music. Give him his own music! What the fuck? So dumb. Fuck. Such a missed opportunity. It's ridiculous. Um, no, other than that, this was, again, very fun match. I think everyone got an appropriate amount of time, except for the Radicals, of course, because obviously uh, continuing the theme of Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn just not getting any kind of respect. I feel like Oliver Twist, like, just begging, like, please, like, like please, can I have some more Perry Saturn? Please, <laughs> please he only gets like three minutes on a pay-per-view. <laughs> he, gets one, he gets like a minute and a half here. Uh, like, if you count his edges, he gets three. Perry Saturn. Uh, the, the, the reveal of X Factor was just like, oh, OK. Like, look at these guys. <laughs> this is a collection of assets. <laughs> it looked like it looked like a trade package you'd see in like the ML uh, for NBA, where it's be like, yeah, you have these three guys, and that's the faction. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the new Wizards' big three is Jordan Poole, Kyle Kuzma, and Denny Avdia. Exactly that. <laughs> it's like the X showing up is like, oh, here's this big stable. <laughs> They're going to be important. Uh, yeah, very ridiculous. Uh, the, the the audible screams we got for Matt Hardy taking his shirt off, also a very funny moment. I mean, goddamn. God, man, the Hardys. Being the Hardys. That's <laughs> one, man. Like, uh, I mean, that's like, you know, it's like you, you watch him and it's like the cheers for the Hardys are noticeably way more high-pitched. Than, than very <laughs> high-pitched. Uh, Jericho... That had to have been the fucking life, man. Damn. Jericho also just like continuing the theme of WCW guys who are on the juice because he was massive. Oh, yeah. He, he looked huge. But again, fun, fun match. Love the finish too. the duck chair into the crossface. Just super smooth. Um, I like the fact that they continue the theme of like, oh, you know, maybe Jericho didn't have this planned out ahead of time. And it's just like, you know what? 
I could go out to Benoit because I know he's pissed at Edge and Christian. And what if we just steal the uh, number one contenders uh, match from them? And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I I see like post like post defection to WWF for like those first few years, especially Jericho as like the perfect pro wrestler, honestly. Very good pro wrestler. Um, Like like the ideal wrestler, you know, like like had, you know, like it probably got on the ass somewhat, but like wasn't so big that it was like distracting and weird. Yeah. But, like, had, like, gotten bigger, had a great body, but also had managed to do it without, like, losing any of his, like, 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 ability to move, mm-hmm. you know? A lot, had, had or, or, like, if he did, it was, like, minimal, you know what I mean? Like, any of his athleticism, any of his ability to, like, move fast, any of his burst, you know, had a cool move set that was really unique, was super technically sound, could wrestle any style and have all these great matches with all these different people in all these different settings – and also, like, incredibly fucking entertaining on the mic at all times. I, and, and, like, even today, too, like, I love – the Jericho run we're getting right now with, uh, I guess, like, the postmodern Jericho Appreciation Society where Sammy may or may not be part of the group. Daniel Garcia is just humping the air the entire time. There's a little bit less magic uh, Magic Menard and Angela Parker, but they're, when they're around, they're always entertaining. Like, uh, I just, like – I'm so encapsulated by everything Jericho has done for probably the past six months. I have to say, now that you mentioned it, Daniel Garcia, great pro wrestler, right? For a long, for for a while, that was like the knock on him is like Daniel Garcia is a guy who is a tremendous in ring pro wrestler, but doesn't have that personality. You know what I mean? To like make you really interested in him beyond his ring work, kind of like you know. Really boring promo type guy and then i guess you know one day he decided what if i just hump the air all the time (laughs) (laughs) ding 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 it worked (laughs) yeah he's just essentially a hot guy at club (laughs) that's his gimmick what if i dance like a moron (laughs) it's like wow all right (laughs) that was that was a that's a grand slam home run right there for you danny oh Uh, man the uh, other the other thing, too, is because, uh, again, this match is very quick. It's a lot of, like, short tag matches, uh, seven teams, 25 minutes, not not a lot of time for them all. But the other thing I just got, like, I get, got kicked off is, like, I could kind of really want, like, the OC to be more like the modern APA. Like, just utter serious ass kickers who just drink. Like, I, I, we need that like, stable back. The APA were also, like... They could be like serious badass beat you up, but also like had good comedy. Were funny, yeah. Like especially in their like backstage segments, like they were funny. You know, playing off of the kind of like we're serious, like kind of like we're serious badasses who drink and like fucking you know gamble and whatever. But like we're funny, you know. Um, like yeah, I honestly like I completely agree with you. When I like when they brought in. Carl and, and, and Luke Gallows the first time, I was like, this is your new APA right here. Like, locked in. And they just don't have them do enough stuff. Yeah, it just didn't happen, you know? I they don't still know. don't have them do enough stuff, because, like, it's always not, like, that entire faction, there's just some kind of disconnect, because, like, we only ever see them in matches, and it feels like they're telling the story on commentary more than anything else, yeah. which they were doing with the Street Profits breakup angle for the longest time. 
It's just, it, you can't, like, let us see them backstage. I want to see more moments of Carl Anderson shooting the shit with everybody. I, you know, again, some people don't like him. Um, I'm of the, I'm the kind of person who has sustained enough brain damage that <laughs> I think that Luke Gallows' humor is hilarious. So <laughs> I find, I find their shit to be hilarious. David, so. it's, it's our sense of humor hasn't developed since middle school. It's okay. I'm, I'm emotionally stunted enough that I think the the Good Brothers are the funniest motherfuckers. In the I think that Sex Ferguson is the funniest shit ever. <laughs> so you know, I I'm always down. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's like when you see him, it's like once every once a month, and they have like a two minute match. You know, and, and they job out. You know, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I guess, but like, I know a lot of people like it doesn't click for them as the way it does for me, and I understand that not everything has to be for everybody. I just I find them funny. But yeah, like I agree. Like when they brought in Gallows and Anderson, when they brought in the Good Brothers, I was like, "This is the new APA right here." Just like like a slightly different kind of humor, you know. Uh, but like, you you can play it the same way. Uh, but then you know, it's just kind of nothing. Uh, but yeah, like yeah, as you mentioned, like seven teams in this match, so six mini singles matches. Um, most of them did feel different from one another, which and there's there's a lot of stuff that like, you know, it's it's broken up well. There's really really good segments in it. The Ben Benoit Jericho, like the last two, I thought were very good. Benoit Jericho with Edge and Christian, was very good. I actually thought the two with X Factor were probably the worst. I agree, but you know, Benoit and Jericho are just like again like. Jericho to me is the perfect pro wrestler. Like at this time, you know, like prime Jericho, peak Jericho is like the ideal professional wrestler. And I'm never going to be disappointed by anything that he does. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's, it's worth it to see that cause they, they get a little more time at the end, like edge and Christian and Benoit Jericho get around eight minutes where everyone else gets like a couple, you know, like gets like two to four, they get around eight and it is nice to see them get to cook a little bit. Because it's just like four guys who are at the top of their game, you know. Incredible guys, all four. Really, I mean, like as as good as it gets, you know, type guys. So, um, before the main event starts, we have a. I don't know if you remember if, if you if you caught this. They have like an ad for Mick Foley's new book. Oh, this think, was tough. This was like tough. Audio, they have an audio like they have like an audio book and they have like an excerpt where I have to hear Mick Foley. Mama Foley's baby boy say the say the phrase quote her hands touching my genitals. A lot of genitals talk on this pay per view. This is the second time that the word genitals, at least the second time that you heard the word genitals on Judgment Day two thousand one. Uh, but next up, it is main event time. It is Stone Cold versus the Undertaker. No holds barred. Vince McMahon is out there first. He's going to be on commentary. Vince on commentary, will he say the phrase, what a maneuver? Will he or won't he? Um, and folks, I cannot stress this enough. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. What? Taker. He comes <laughs> out. Uh, it's, it's a shame that I guess they didn't really have space in Arco Arena for him. <laughs> actually roll and roll and roll out on his hog undertaker actually just walks um, and he goes after stone cold basically the second uh he enters he, like he comes up he they brawl in the entranceway and around the stage this is like a long brawl 
what you expect from, you know, hey, Stone Cold in 2001. You know, like Stone Cold post-neck break. Most of his matches that go over five minutes are going to be long brawls, right? And, and that's what this is. Taker beats his ass for a very long time here. Um, very extended section of this match of Taker just beating him up, throwing him all around ringside, throwing him all around the entrance ramp and, you know, the stage and everything. He hits the old school off of the barricade, hits him with a fire extinguisher. Um, eventually, Austin cuts him off, works his leg, hits him with the 551st nut shot of this show. Um, we're averaging like basically like probably two and a half nut shots per match. Uh, just a lot of people getting their balls destroyed on Judgment Day 2001. It's kind of wild. I feel like that's what you have agents for. To make sure that we're not repeating the same spot in every fucking match? Nah, David, because a nut shot's a nut shot, man. You can't have someone getting their balls ruined every match. At some point, your people are going to stop reacting to the nut shot. But it happens. Um, Austin works the leg for a while. Um, and then Taker makes his comeback, and all of a sudden, he stops selling the leg immediately. Uh, all of a sudden, his, his leg is magically healed. Taker choke slams him through the announce table, rolls him back into the ring. Austin kicks out. Uh, more brawling. Uh, Taker gets hit with one of the monitors from the uh, broken announce table, and Taker blades, starts bleeding everywhere. Um, Austin throws him around, throws him into the Spanish announce table, throws him into the stairs, does his Luthez press for a near fall. Uh, another another low blow from Austin. Uh, puts him in a sleeper hold. Taker reverses it into a back suplex. They both slowly get up. Austin gets a chair, wipes him out with a chair shot, hits him with a stone cold stunner right in the middle of the ring. But Taker kicks out of Austin's finishing move clean in the middle of the ring. And we get a series of chair shots. So Austin hits him with the chair a bunch of times. Taker then kicks him in the nuts. I believe that's nut shot number three in this match. And Taker hits him with a chair uh, with a choke slam. Taker hits Austin with a chair 50 times in a row. Uh, Triple H comes down with the sledgehammer. Uh, a taker hits him in the head with the chair and hits him with the chair 50 times in a row. Then goes back to Austin, hits him with the chair 50 times in a row. He goes for the pin. Vince McMahon gets in the ring, breaks it up. Taker beats up Vince, hits him with the chair as well. Um, then Austin gets the chair, tries to swing for Taker, misses, hits Vince with the chair. Then Undertaker sets up Vince for the last ride powerbomb, but then Triple H hits him with the sledgehammer, and Austin gets the pin. Kane's music hits as this pinfall is happening, but Kane is just a second too late. He may futilely tries to make the save, and Stone Cold Steve Austin gets the pin and wins the match. 23 minutes and 7 seconds, he is still the WWF champion. It is wild how much better Stone Cold's match with Kevin Owens was at two manias ago than most oh of his stuff. Most of his stuff after 1999. Take uh, Austin. I feel confident in saying Austin. I think bumped in that match when he was like 60 years old and hadn't wrestled in 17 years than he did in this match. Yeah, this is and this is the problem with this era. This era is just. A very solid undercard with like a bunch of interesting things, maybe not all good, but at least interesting things. 
And then a main event that will likely feature Stone Cold that likely is going to go 20 minutes that likely is not good because Stone Cold himself likely would collapse if he actually took a real bump. I I think that's unfair, though. (laughs) I think Austin, again, like, you know, Austin, Austin had to revamp his style very radically after the leg, after the neck break. And credit to him for doing that. Partially because he broke his neck, uh, but partially because his knees were basically like bone on bone, like every step. They threatened to explode, you know, type like fucking bad shape, right? Um, and this was the kind of match he could have. You're going to put Austin in a 20 minute main event on a pay per view. This is the match you're going to get. It's going to be Austin brawling, and you're going to get a lot of bullshit, but it was still the kind of match that like people enjoyed, you know? How much of it did they enjoy because it was Austin? It was usually Vince hijinks as well, so you could get to boo Vince. Um, you know, okay. Taker Kane, Rock, uh, Jericho. I'm trying to think of who else was like Kurt. Like but other. Here's the thing, though, when you're putting that match together in 2001, you're thinking about how the fans in 2001 watching it at the time are going to react to it. What's going to work for them right now? Not what are two jagoffs 22 years from now going to think about this fucking match? <laughs> you don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, you're thinking about what 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 is the crowd going to be? Into? They've had plenty of plenty of this exact kind of match. You know, the big stupid brawl where the where there's McMahon's flying around everywhere and people bleed and we punch each other a hundred times and we fight into the crowd and the crowd goes crazy and we hit each other with a hundred chairs. And the crowd liked it. You know, the crowd always liked it then. And they like it here, you know. I mean, they are into it 100 percent of the way through. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the fact that people like it. I can put, I like, I understand all that rationale. It's just, again, two ja- as a jag off here, 22 years after the fact, watching this match back, I'm just like, this is just one of those things that just did not age. It just it, it, it aged so bad, so fast. Um, it's just it's hard. It was a very hard watch, to be honest. Um, I'm- there's a lot of things here that I can kind of take issue with, like Bionic Redneck. Makes sense, JR. Not your best work. Oh, um, the Bionic Redneck is like one of his best nicknames, honestly. I have a, I have a very – I have a, I have an affection for the nickname, the Bionic Redneck. Not for me. I've, I've, Vince May allu- uh, alluded to like today is not my judgment day. I'm like, no, Vince, your judgment day is still pending. We'll, we're still waiting on it. Lord willing, your judgment day is coming soon. <laughs> Um, there's a moment where the ref again tried to corral uh, Stone Cold, which it's a no holds bars match. There's nothing he could do to get DQ'd. Why are we trying to limit what he's doing? The ref? I can't remember which ref it was. Uh, I don't want to say it was Tim Patrick. That's always the easy one. Or Nick Patrick. Tim Nick Patrick. Patrick. receiver for the Broncos. Some Patrick. Uh, he's a ref. I remembered his last name. Give me a break. Patrick, I don't remember who the ref was. I just thought it was – well, because there was Tim White at the same time. Too. Yeah. And then the other – he still called missed another chair shot. The ref, like, doesn't ever, like, get to the point where it's like, oh, he's, like, trying to interfere and, like, stop people from getting hit with a chair or whatever. But he's also, like – Yelling at them to stop. It's, like, a little too close, you know? <sighs> Like, dude, it's no holds barred match. Shut the fuck up. I will say, though, there is a great, great, great moment of uh, Taker kicking out that you see Vince uh, in the background doing the one, two, three, and only for the three not to get counted. And you just see Vince's face go from absolute jubilation to utter dread 
in an instant. Vince, great at uh, just facial expressions. Yeah, uh, but yes, like one of the greatest comic actors of our time, Vince McMahon. But yeah, it's just it's real tough. Also, like the the Triple H of it all, him not really acting with any like. I enjoy the over the top like allusion to well is there tension here and considering Stone Cold just whapped him in the head not two matches before uh, and Triple H is here like lo- looking loyal to the soil for Stone Cold eh, I would have liked Trips to kind of like maybe do, throw some eyes at the belt uh, just to tease that yeah it, I, I agree with you it is rather I think it is kind of rather half acidly put together you know what I mean it's very one note um, and it goes on very long. And like, you know, it's kind of the same thing forever. Uh, but again, the crowd was into it. You know, it's not something that I'm going to go back and watch and be like, oh, yeah, this great match at Judgment Day 2001. But at the very least, it was like a match that the crowd was into. You know what yeah. I mean? Like at what I would say is an appropriate level for like a pay-per-view main event. Agreed. You know, it just has the black mark of, you know, heel Austin. Which is one of the ever. I was not ready because they have a again great video package before this match. I was not ready for how dark this version of Stone Cold was, and knowing some of the demons from that that existed in his life, I'm like, oh, this is probably a little bit too real life on the nose for it not to go straight to his mental. Yeah, I don't know about that one, man. He did uh, allegedly beat his wife, so... Yeah. Um, also, there, uh, Taker's line, you better give your soul to the Lord because your ass belongs to me. It's a great line. I've always loved that line. Very good line. You know, whenever whenever it's used in, in you know, in, in all kinds of different situations, that's a good line. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I can't recommend this one just because it's like, you know, it's, it's a long one-note brawl where, like, it's not really differentiated in any other way from like any other of the billions of fucking long brawls you saw between like these two guys even. But hey, the crowd was into it. I guess it was kind of what it needed to be, I guess. Whatever, it's fine. So that'll bring us to our two and a half marks. Angelo. Start um, us negative half mark. Uh, talked about it a lot, but I'll just make it brief. Late stage Stone Cold ring work. Just isn't for me. Credit to him for creating a style that he could do at a regular basis and work as many dates as he possibly could. But man, uh, as someone that enjoys a little bit more, it's it's always a tough rewatch. It always makes me sad. Uh, my negative one mark is going to not having crowd noise when you leave the ring arena. Even for like the Bob Holly Al Snow match, while there was a lot of like grunting. You still had like you heard the pops for the big moves and you just didn't have that for the uh, hardcore championship match. It just wasn't there. It felt like it was missing. It really kind of creates a lack of urgency. It creates it like it's not important, which we know the hardcore championship isn't important, but making it so obvious that's not important kind of makes the match itself worse. And so like you kind of have to fill out that noise somehow, even if it's going to be like piped in or you're putting the mic in front of like two people that are reacting. Just just do something there. But my two marks, it's going to a great catalyst. Uh, the guy that came to mind is obviously William Regal, the guy who just – he is the catalyst for so many things on the show. He alludes to the stink face. 
He gets attacked by the Undertaker to threaten for the No Holds Barred match. He makes he informs Austin of it being a No Holds Barred match. He helps move the story of the pay-per-view along. You also have Edge and Christian here who are like kind of buddies with Angle, giving him tips for the ladder match and then helping him in the ladder match and then setting up Benoit for this tag team turmoil match. Um, and, then, and then Kane winning the IC title too. Like Kane is kind of... Not second fiddle to the Taker here, but Taker is obviously the guy who's fighting for the world championship. And you have Kane here beating Triple H for the title and kind of saying, it's like, oh, is this going to be the Brothers of Destruction going over uh, the two-man power trip? Is this going to be the night where it all falls apart? You kind of set up that story. And then you have kind of – he comes in too late in the main event for my liking. I would have liked the, the involvement before, but – you know, you still kind of get that movement. So having a great catalyst to help move the stories along and change things up and introduce that change, you really can't have a good wrestling show without it. And those guys kind of get uh, can, can easily fall uh, by the wayside if you're not paying attention. So I just want to shout out the catalyst of the world. William Regal has the rare, but I think hallowed distinction of having been great as a like comic authority figure and great as a serious authority figure in the same career. Yeah, that's wild. So like William Regal's pretty good at like pro wrestling in general. Uh, I'm going to give my I'm going to hand out a negative half mark and a positive half mark. My negative half mark. Who do you think you are me? My negative half mark goes to Red Kane. My positive half mark <laughs> goes to Blue Kane. Folks, <laughs> Blue Kane has never uh, you know done the things politically that red cane has uh so now we we can we can finally listen i have always been a big fan of kane i think that kane is one of the best big men of all time but glenn jacobs the man has made it tough to enjoy red cane now i can enjoy kane again kane has been given back to me by blue i can now once again call myself a canaanite folks i'm so happy about it I'm going to give my one mark to uh, Paul Heyman screaming gore, gore, gore as Rhino, or any uh, announcer screaming gore, gore, gore when Rhino hits the gore. Because I think uh, Joey Styles would do it too. Other guys would do it. Uh, it's not a spear, folks. It's the fucking gore. And that's what makes it a gore is because people chant gore after it instead of spear. There we go. And I'm also going to give a, a one mark to your dog walking around back in, in the background, still hanging around. Poor guy's old. Around, I think he's old as hell, but he's still living. I can see him. Give him a pet for me, Angelo. I shall. Pet him right now. I want to see you do Okay, I'll, hold on. Pet him right fucking now, on screen. Do it. Get him. Good boy. Yes, good boy. I have to let him out, so let's wrap up the marks. I forgot his name. Mojo. Mojo, that's right. I am going to give my uh, two marks to peak Chris Jericho. Again, I already went through this and gave my rationale, for this, but I just feel like late 90s, like post WCW, first years of his WWF run, that era of Chris Jericho, the ideal pro wrestler, uh, could do anything at any time, in any situation, and excel, uh, have a great match in every style with anybody at any time, in any situation, and every single one of his promos was hilarious and memorable in a different way. Uh, just a guy who fucking had it all. Uh, so that will wrap up our coverage of Judgment Day 2001. 
Uh, and I am going to hit our last order of business. I'm going to hit the randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next time on the podcast. Angelo, as I pull this up, what are you looking for? Uh, you know what? Surprise me. I kind of could go for some old stuff. I could go for some new stuff that's a little bit more structured. Surprise me. Pokey friggin' dokey over here. Uh, I don't think we've done this one. Let me see. I don't believe we, I, this is interesting. Okay, cool shit. Yeah, okay. Uh, we haven't done much like 80s WCW. Oh shit, we're going to the 80s. 80s. And there's some nice, nice, neat shit on here. WCW Great American Bash 1989. Uh, from Baltimore, Maryland. Main event title match between Ric Flair and Terry Funk. We have a classic War Games match with the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, Dr. Death, Steve Williams in it, the Fabulous Freebirds are in it. We've got a Lex Luger, Ricky Steamboat match. We've got a Sting versus the Great Muda match. Wait a minute. There's high potential here. Holy Muda Sting. Muda Sting. Muda, I mean, that was... That was the rivalry that made both guys into legend, Sting and Muda. Uh, so that's got some really high potential to absolutely bang. Uh, we actually have Johnny Ace on the show. We have Johnny Ace on the show. Yes, we do. In fact, the dynamic dudes. Uh, hey, uh, David, he's he's on the he's on the card. We have to say it. John. John. Fuck, Fuck Doctor Death got both johnny ace and dr death on the show uh both i think wrestling or no dr death wrestles twice i believe because uh, he's in this battle royal and he's in the war games match so yeah next time on the pod uh the great american match 1989 on two and a half marks so until next time for my good friend angelo and lisa my name is david Scott. thanks everybody for listening